For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Believe in Giants podcast with Giants legend Carl Banks and broadcaster Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of Believe in Giants. Bob Papa, along with two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks, we promised you that post-draft we would bring you another edition of the... Uh, Papa Banks podcast, and here we are. And Carl, we got a very special guest, the general manager of the New York Giants, Joe Shane, joins us here on Believe in Giants. Joe, welcome to the program, your first foray into the Papa Banks Believe in podcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking a couple minutes to join us. No, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here and look forward to visiting with y'all. So, Joe, this was your your first draft room that you've run. You've been in a lot and you've put together a lot of drafts. How was it to be the leader of that room? Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. We had a good plan in place, a good process in terms of how we were going to execute on draft day. But it's still typically, you know, I'm leaning over and, you know, whether it was Brandon Bean or uh, Chris Greer or whoever it may have been, you know, throughout the past, you know, sitting next to a general manager, you kind of give your your input, what you think we should do. And then, you know, they ultimately make the final decision. So, um, you know, I, I, I leaned on a few of the people in the the room, um, you know, some of the directors, assistant general managers um, on some of the decisions and, you know, just it's up to you to make that final decision. So that was definitely a little bit different, but we were prepared and, you know, feel like we did a good job. So did you have that night before um, play it out in your head, how this could go? And it, was there at any point where you said, I hope I don't screw this up. Like if, if, <laughs> if this, if I'm faced with this choice, at five and it's two or three guys you're like i just i can't i can't screw this up yeah absolutely absolutely and i, I never sleep on draft weekend you know starting wednesday night leading into thursday thursday all the way through uh sunday you know so i don't sleep as it is but again you know i talked about it you know after we drafted that you know i had seven cards or six cards and we were kind of going through you know a million different scenarios and you know the first pick you know we felt good about where we were and what the scenarios would be knowing that we had six players we really liked. If if one went that wasn't in our six, we knew we'd get two really good players, regardless of, you know, what positions they were at. As the, as the draft unfolded in that first round and the Jaguars made their pick, and then once Houston made their pick, did you kind of get a sense like, all right, you know, we're in a situation here where this thing is going to play out, where we're going to be able to get, you know, the guys that we really wanted at this point, because, you know, with the defensive guys going right away and everybody knew your need for offensive line help, everything was kind of unfolding so that, Hey, we're going to get some guys that really are going to help us right away. Yeah. When the first four picks were all defense and those, you know, there were still some offensive linemen on the board that we liked, we, we knew it was going to fall, um, you know, to a favorable situation for us. And then to have a pass rusher there and to be able to take, you know, Thibodeau and know that there were still, you know, a couple other players that we liked on the board. 
um, you know, we were ecstatic. That was some, you know, that was a scenario we played through. And again, just, yeah, the way it played out. And again, it was a unique draft that there really wasn't a consensus number one or two, or that, you know, you just, all these rumors, you didn't really know typically going into draft day, you know, whether it's a quarterback or, or a different position, there's a consensus number one player in the draft and you just didn't get that feel this year. So, you know, a lot of rumors out there, you didn't know what was true, what wasn't true. And, you know, the way it ended up playing out was perfect for us. Joe, can you take us through and, and our, our listeners through the process of evaluation? And I'm asking this specifically because there was like a roller coaster of emotion of, oh, this guy is rising. This guy is falling. And it's, there's no other games played. Combine's over. And uh, you've evaluated all of their games, well, all of the personnel people around the league. But then all of a sudden, you like you said, there was no consensus pick. But how does a guy rise and he's not done anything different than what everyone has seen? Or how does a guy fall? Does that just mean they just didn't know uh, there was no consensus pick? A consensus pick, or is there a way a guy can rise on a board without doing anything else? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And anybody that does that, you know, on our draft board, we try to identify those guys. Anybody that goes up, up or down more than around, we make a list, we look at it, we identify, okay, is this the right reason this player is going up or these players are going down? Because there's been no football games. Like you just said, there, there's, there's no new football. Um, the February meetings before we go to the combine, we try to do exactly what you're talking about. Let's set the board, how we see the players as football players. Like, no 40 times, no short shuttles, no verticals, no good workout in shorts and T-shirts. And that's solely based on a football grade because it's you're, you're in the pads, you got the helmet on. And we try to you know get the guys in the right area the best we can in February to avoid potentially making mistakes because the guy ran fast in March, but nobody saw that on the film in October. So to me, you go back to your fall grades and what you saw on film, that weighs more to me than the workouts in the spring. But it definitely happens. You know, I can think of three or four players over my career that, um, you know, you start to get the rest of the staff involved, the coaches involved, and their first exposure to the player is 6'5", 260, and ran 4'5", five, 5". You know, anybody's – now you see that, you're like, oh, I like this guy already. Uh, you know, so your mind's a little bit skewed when you put on the tape where, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, my scouts go in in the fall or you throw on the tape in the fall. You don't necessarily always have, always have uh, verified measurables. So you really got to evaluate them as football players. So I like to lean back to the to the the film and the grades in the fall more so than the spring. You know, it's part of the process. And, you know, we get it. These guys run fast or test well. But to me, it goes back to the football. You know, the prevailing the theory going into this draft was that, you know, in the middle rounds that there was a lot of value in that scenario. And there were certain teams that certainly believed in that. Before you made your second round pick, you moved back and you were able to get more picks. Was that sort of a feeling that you guys had in your room too, that the value in the third, fourth, and even fifth round on this draft was really strong? So if we can get as many swings at it and as many picks, it would be advantageous to us at this point? Yeah, Bob, that's a good question. It was kind of a, you know, at the beginning of the second round, there were still some players we really liked, um, you know, where we are roster wise and where we are financially. There was also some guys that we tried to get in the offseason, um, you know, again, where we are salary cap wise. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of resources to sign guys. So even depth players we were trying to get, whether it was a third or fourth safety, um, you know, a fifth corner, like 
we would lose out on some of those guys because we, we, we didn't have the resources. So by getting more picks that put the ball in our court, you know, we were able to add some players that we thought would be really good depth players for us with some upside to potentially develop into starters. So yeah, we needed some frontline guys, but we also needed some young depth that we could, you know, backload the roster with and, and develop those guys. So yeah, getting extra picks, a couple extra bodies going from nine picks to 11 um, was something that was definitely attractive to us. Can we go to the top of your draft and just, Evan Neal, what did you like about him? Okay, and then this is, again, kind of a beauty pageant where there are two or three guys that were rated pretty high, but does system fit uh, factor in, or is it certain guys are so good he's going to work in our system? Yeah, I, I think you know both of those go into account, especially where when you're talking about the seventh pick in the draft. you gotta you got to work through all that stuff. But, you know, I saw him play live early on, um, I guess it was later LSU this season. And I mean, he's a mammoth human being. I mean, he is a, he's a big kid. He's 21 years old. Um, he's long, you know, he's tough to run around. And then, you know, he's playing against the best competition in the country, you know, in the SEC three-year starter, three different positions. So the versatility he brings as well. And again, you're talking about 21 year old that's only missed one game in his career. So, you know, smart, tough, dependable, doesn't miss games young, you know, high upside and really good uh, reviews from, you know, everybody in the Alabama program. When you go there and, you know, talk about the kid, you know, the word alpha comes up, leader, you know, toughness, all those things. And you start adding that, that up along with what you saw on film, the versatility and just a guy we're really excited about. And we, we do think he fits fits our scheme. And, you know, we had this conversation over time, a lot of teams think the traditional right tackle because teams are right-handed, they run right more. So you want the run blocker, you know, left tackle traditionally the better feet. But, you know, now these rushers are, you know, going right and left. You know, I know when I was in Miami, Cam Wake was always on the left side. That's where he wanted to rush from. So, you know, your right tackle has got to be able to pass block too. And, you know, Evan's a guy that we could go to last year's film and watch him play right tackle. And some of the other players that were in consideration, you know, maybe, maybe didn't have that uh, experience at right tackle. So all that stuff, you know, added up to, you know, a guy that we were really excited about getting. Do you think that um, fans and media at this point, Joe, haven't really caught up on that concept of the fact that when you think about the defenses that are running the NFL and the multiplicity that happens and the sub packages and the various packages and the way offenses are looking to attack spread out much more um, and, and not as traditional as, as normally is the case that people kind of look past that point of the rushers are coming from everywhere. Like if you can't pass protect, you're in trouble no matter where they put you on the offensive line. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, the scheme part, you know, how many teams, there's only a handful of teams that are probably going to line up and run the ball 25 to to 30, you know, times a game. And, you know, you look at the, you know, Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor, you know, Tennessee, you know, with Derrick Henry, like those teams are going to line up and, you know, you better be ready to play big, big boy ball in those games. But otherwise teams do, you know, you're paying all these quarterbacks, you know, X amount of money, 45, $50 million a year. It's not to turn around and hand the ball off 25 times a game. And a lot of these offensive minded coaches, you know, would rather, you know, throw the ball for seven to eight rather than hand off for two or three. So yeah, the ability to pass block, I think the old school traditional mindset of right tackle, left tackle, you know, I think, I think, you know, some people still look at it that way, but to me, you know, you got to be able to pass block. You got to be able to set the width of the pocket. Um, you know, that's a priority in our scheme and, you know, again, that's, that's just kind of where the game is going instead of lining up again and, and running the ball a bunch each game. People are going to throw it around. It's kind of ironic, though, the two of the teams that you mentioned that we know are going to run the football 
Uh, now with Matt Ryan in Indianapolis, they might be more open to putting the ball in his hands a little bit, but still it's the run game. And then Tennessee just happened to both be on your schedule this year. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And that's where, uh, that's more of a defensive problem than an offensive problem. So, <laughs> you know, and we, we're talking about both of those teams, uh, you know, on the schedule this year, you know, they're both good year in and year out, uh, well coached, well managed, got a lot of respect for their general managers and head coaches. So um, those are definitely, you know, two formidable opponents that uh, we'll, we'll have our hands full with. Joe, uh, I'm, I'm trying to save Thibodeau for last because there are so many questions that have come up post-draft and pre-draft in terms of how you're going to manage economically some decisions that you have to make. Obviously, uh, James Bradbury, you had alluded to that way early and, and um, ownership had talked about it too, that you know, it may be a tough decision to make because of just the economics. But then um, the, the quarterback situation where, you know, I'm not sure how it's a given that, okay, well, when you hit a certain point, you should be extended when you really have a contract. Like the reality of football, if you have a four-year contract, you have a four-year contract, right? And it's, you know, obviously you earn the right to be extended, but if you don't, you shouldn't be insulted uh, because if you know there's work to do and the, and the team says, well, we still believe in you, but we just can't do X, Y, and Z at this point. How do you manage that um, expectation versus the reality of, hey, he's, he's under contract. So we can, this will afford us to do a few other things and we get a chance to evaluate a little more too. How, how does that, that process work? Yeah. And that's, are you, are you talking about, you're talking mainly about the Daniel Jones. Sure. Um, yeah. 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 So again, we told Daniel that it doesn't change our opinion of him. He's, he's done everything we've asked him to do since he's been here. Um, he's won games in this league. Uh, you know, we have confidence in him uh, and to your point though, but it's a, you know, $22 million investment. Okay. That you, that you're, that you're locked into. So yeah, you're weighing that. Um, I got a lot of confidence in our offensive staff. I got confidence in, um, the offensive line, I feel like we upgraded not just the front line guys, but the depth. And then, you know, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, Wandell Robinson, uh, Shep, uh, Barkley, you know, some of the tight ends that we signed. If, if we're a healthy group, I think we've got a formidable group of weapons around Daniel Jones along with the offensive line to see the best version of him. So, yeah, you're you're weighing that again. You know, he was injured last year. Um, you know, the Giants were a, a four win team. So, you, you, you know, again, it's it's weighing the the investment versus, you know, risk reward. And mm -hmm. hey, I we're going to do everything we can so Daniel can put his best foot forward. And, you know, again, we can we can franchise him a year from now. We can extend him. You know, just there, there's several options and, you know, we'll, we'll see it play out. And he's not a guy that needs to be motivated or or anything like that. The guy's self-motivated. He's here all the time. He's working hard and, and doing all the right things. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with, you know, our offensive staff, the upgraded offensive line and some of the weapons around him. Are you a Godfather fan, the movie? <laughs> I, I, yes, I, I am a Godfather well, fan. I've seen it, but. Well, it's, 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 you know, it's the smart move. You know, when, when there's the, the war going on between the two underlings and there's like, <laughs> it's the smart move. It's the Good smart analogy. business move. I mean, analogy. yeah, I mean, listen, I can't get his rookie season out of my head. I, I cannot get Daniel Jones rookie year and the things that he did, you know, 24 and 12. Um, the fumble thing was an issue. 
And I, I like the fact that, you know, he's going to get an opportunity and his play is going to dictate really what the next move is. And he, potentially he could hold a hammer. So go have at it because I'm hoping that that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I've 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 seen uh, babes before with quarterbacks, young quarterbacks. You know, I was with him in Miami in 2011. So I've, I've seen his work. Kafka's done a really good job. Shade Tierney, our, our quarterback coach. So. Just let Daniel be himself. Go let it rip. Don't worry about making mistakes. You know, it's, it's going to happen with the position. But if you do, just turn the page. Let's go to the next play and um, keep balling. But, you know, just play loose. You know, again, don't, 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 hopefully it doesn't feel the pressure. And again, we'll, we do a really good job. And Dayball's done a really good job in Kafka of what do we have? What are the pieces? Now let's shape the offense around the pieces versus, um, you know, trying to force an offense on the pieces that maybe don't fit. So the offense is always going to be evolving based on the pieces that are available. And again, I think that will that'll benefit everybody on the offense. Joe, the, the quarterback position is a key decision. It's the key decision making uh, position on the football field. And you know, I hear a lot uh, from Dave's about, hey, just just mentally be free. Let it rip. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. And yet we live in such a data driven league right now where everything is evaluated through the not through the lens of data but ex external to your environment in the in the building everything's viewed externally uh through the eyes of data well he turned the ball over he's not good at this he's not good at that does that and you guys do use analytics as a tool does that shape the evaluation process let's just say come contract time right for any player Right. But particularly quarterbacks, because it's numbers. Is it wins or is it more than just that? If you're saying, hey, Daniel, don't worry about anything. You make a mistake. Just let's just go win a football game. We're going to give you more opportunities. Are those things in the evaluation process and not just with Daniel, but if you're evaluating any quarterback that you've got to pay, do those things factor in? Yeah, and I think it's easier to do some, you know, do that with somebody in your building like Daniel. Um, I know when I was in Buffalo, I don't know, Josh maybe had six interceptions that weren't his fault, but nobody, nobody knows that. You know, mm. somebody outside the building doesn't know. Well, his depth, he was at seven yards instead of twelve, or yeah. you know, that receiver went out instead of in, and Josh threw it out. You know, what I mean, like so, mm -hmm. so we're gonna have better knowledge of what's being asked of our players and how the execution went down and where. You know, again, it's the ultimate team game. Eleven guys got to be on the same page. So I think when they're when they're in your building, you can you know you can look at the data and understand the why a little bit more. If if it is mistakes or why things are going well or things broke down and Daniel ad libbed and you know made a play with his feet or whatever it may be, um, you know, again when you're evaluating a pro quarterback, that's a little bit harder because maybe you can't call that team and you know you know that you know there's a competitive advantage. They're not going to give you mm -hmm. all the accurate information at times. And then the flip side is evaluating the college quarterbacks, which, you know, went through an extensive, you know, search, you know, four or five years ago with uh, the Josh Allen draft. And, you know, you can really talk to the coaches. You can sit down and watch film with the kids. You can really do more research. So um, it's, it's, you know, again, it's, you know, guy outside your building, guy inside your building and then the college draft in terms of where you could get quarterbacks from mm -hmm. uh, all different levels of analytics that you can use. Um, I think it's a, it's a tool that you utilize, but it doesn't drive the entire process. Yeah, I kind of call it the Eli Manning factor <laughs> based on, you know, the offense that Kevin Gilbride had when the Giants won those two Super Bowls. And, you know, it was about taking some chances and pushing it down the field. And 
and looking for big plays. Tom Coughlin loved explosive plays and Eli didn't care. Right. And, you know, Eli would Eli would throw the ball out of bounds, which hurts your quarterback rating and hurts percentages and all this other stuff. But when you needed them in big spots to make plays, he made plays for you. And so that didn't always translate to numbers. Is that kind of what you're talking about as far as having him in the building and understanding what we're asking of him? And despite what people on the outside may say, we know what he's doing and he's doing what we need him to do. Yeah, that's exactly right, Bob, because we we look a lot of the stat, you know, where we get our data from and all that, you know, again, they don't truly know what was supposed to what was supposed to happen on a certain play. We know that. And again, I I can think of several games, you know, again, just to use Josh as an example, where maybe he he threw two picks and everybody's all over him and, you know, he's turning the ball over. Well, those two weren't on him. I mean, he did what he's supposed to do. And again, it's an ultimate team game. Somebody ran the wrong route or, you know, a ball gets tipped because we missed a twist and, you know, the guard didn't pick it up. You know, there's there's reasons that, um, you know, sometimes these negative plays occur and, you know, not everybody understands the why. So, yes, I think, you know, again, being in the building with Daniel, having him for, you know, this this offseason going into the season, you know, we'll be able to get a true evaluation of him. In in true um, fan fashion, there's always a what were they doing with this pick conversation. And, you know, the one thing I found out is, you know, these people set their boards. They don't have access to the evaluations that you guys have. But Wondell Robinson Everybody's like, what is he doing here? Why we could have had this guy, we could have had that guy. And then they go look and they discover that he was ranked pretty high amongst SEC receivers at the very top, mind you. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know that, but but still, why? So <laughs> why? Yeah, again, explosive. Uh, run after the catch, you know, a generator when the ball's in his hand, you watch some of those quick screens. Um, you know, his ability to separate, uh, you know, he ran, you know, four, three, nine, you know, on our clock. So, you know, he's explosive, he's got speed. And again, if you look where, you know, day ball has come from and some of the offensive weapons he's used in Mike Kafka, uh, the staff was really high on Wandell and, you know, as a scouting staff, we were as too. again, just, we talked a little bit more about the offensive line earlier and the team spreading out and it's a space game. And, you know, he's a guy that fit and he's got versatility. I mean, he played some running back at Nebraska. Um, There's a plan in place for him. So I'll just say that. And uh, coach has clearly defined that. And, you know, he's a talented young man that we're excited to work with. Right. And and, 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 and in all honesty, right, I mean, the guy that was drafted in the first round last year, Kadarius Tony, who has a lot of explosive skill sets, but he has to prove to you guys and to everybody that he could stay on the field. So, I mean, what's wrong with having more of a similar skill set? Yeah, and that's a good point, Bob. And that, that came into it, too. You know, if you look at our group, too, um, you know, Slayton's a UFA. Okay, so he's up at the end of the year. Shep's coming off an Achilles. He's up at the end of the year. Um, Tony did. Yeah, he had, some, he had some injuries last year. So, um, you know, we'll see what that's going to look like this year. Knock on wood, hopefully he's, he's out there and he's healthy. So, again, the uh, – you know, the playmakers that are going to be available, you know, we had to make sure we had some depth there as well. And, you know, again, Wandell, um, you know, being a, a durable player, again, with explosiveness, you know, that's something, again, you got to look down the road too. What's what's the receiver room going to look like 12 months from now? 
you know, there are some guys that are up that have contracts expiring. Um, and again, a player that our, you know, our staff was convicted in, you know, we were, we were excited to get him. The process, if you got, it wasn't just because he was there. You guys obviously watch, everyone watches SEC football. And most people think that Alabama's wide receiver, you and no other wide receiver exists <laughs> outside of their, their ecosystem. But then you look, they had, a guy who was injured uh, at the end of the year. Not saying that you could pick him, but when teams pick players like that, or they don't, it's because they have medical information and they weigh that versus their um, ability to be patient, meaning they've got enough and they can wait versus a team like the Giants who got to rebuild, quite frankly, and they can't they they need to get players out there that are going to contribute right away so the data that you guys get that fans have no idea about as to why well you didn't pick this guy and he was there and the other guy was available he was healthy and he was also rated slightly higher than another guy that process the medical data piece of it people don't know a lot about but you guys uh You guys do a lot of that work. That's most important, especially if a guy has been injured um, often or a guy that just got injured at the end of the year. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, the team health has been an issue here over the last few years. So, you know, to collect more injured players, you know, obviously yeah. isn't a, a priority, but that, that's part of the data that we collect. We talk about analytics and we always think about catches or completion percentage, but, you know, we also got – um, you know, different systems in place where we do try to predict, you know, a dur- you know, durability score, like with past injuries, what the injuries are, what our medical team says, you know, let's look at past data on players that had these issues. And then, you know, let's project how many games they miss, may, they may miss over the first three years or um, similar players in the past that have had this injury at this position. What does their play time look? Again, it's football. It's a, it's a physical game. Guys are going to get hurt, but we do try to look at that and, and predict, you know, in terms of what the, we call a durability score, you know, what that'll be. So uh, that's important. And, and Carl, you're right. It's not just injuries. It's, um, you know, if you're at the school, this guy's never on time. He shows up late, uh, doesn't study the playbook. You can't trust him on Saturdays. Well, those guys may be off our board. Well, why is that guy falling? Well, he's not even on our board because he's not for us. You know, again, we end up with about 160 guys on the board. So part of it is uh, identification, but, you know, it's also elimination. Not everybody's going to fit what we want from a, a character, a, a football character, a personal character. Um, maybe they can't pick up our system or maybe they don't fit. So um, durability also factors factors into that. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that not everybody uh, necessarily totally understands. All right, Carl, make sure you get your Thibodeau question. In. Well, it's the, it's the, what about him? Like he's he's a dynamic guy. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to – to, um, to meet him, but just from a skill set standpoint, um, very polished. Talk about what what made you say, okay, if these three players are available, we knew that uh, Hutchinson was gone, that you looked at Thibodeau against the backdrop of people saying, oh, he talks too much, he's this, he's that. <laughs> but when he's on the field, Talk about why that became your pick. Yeah, to me, 
just watching the kid over the three years, again, he came in as a high recruit. So when you'd go through Oregon, he would stand out on, on the field when you're not even watching him, like he would just jump off the screen. So, you know, to me is his size, his length, you know, he can play the run. He can set an edge. He can get out of trouble. He can rush the passer. Um, he's got multiple moves. He, you know, during the time we were visiting with him, his, his rush plans, how he studies film, how he sets up tackles. Cause this guy's a finisher when the game's on the line and you got to have a play like this guy has proven the ability to, to close out games. And, you know, to me, that's, that's a big part of it as well. So um, I, I like the player and then spending time with him. Yeah. You know, Carl, you said it does that, you know, people say he talks too much, but if that's the only, if that's the only issue, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we scouted a lot of other players that have a lot more serious issues than maybe talking a little bit too much. So um, really like the personality, you know, the guy's done really good academically from high school to, to college. You know, we had all of his transcripts, uh, you know, I asked him uh, through the interview process, he got a C in choir. And I'm like, you know, you got all these good grades and not, you know, how did you get a C in choir? What happened? And he, you know, he had no idea. We knew this about him. Um, he's like, and he remembered, he goes, Oh, you know why he goes, because we had to go sing um, at a local, I can't remember if it was a church or a parade. He had to go sing somewhere off site, but it was on a Friday night. And that's when they had a football game. He goes, so since I didn't go to that and I chose football, I got to see in that class. But in the spring when football was over, you know, he improved his grade. So, um, you know, again, he's always done well academically, never been in trouble, uh, really good reviews from Oregon and high school and all the research we did on him. And, uh, you guys will see, he's a really likable kid and, you know, also a really good player. And, you know, Carl, you got to spend time with him, you know, when he came through, I think that was important to to get him around you and, you know, Strahan and, you know, just some of the other giant greats. And, um, you know, again, you're not to put words in your mouth, but the feedback was positive from a lot of the people that spent time with him. Yeah. And I, um, I'm sorry, Bob, I I thought he was dynamic and I I won't share with people, uh, what, what some of the things we talked about, but I, I just felt that, he checked a lot of boxes in terms of like whatever you think of him as a football player, and that's well documented. But when you get in a room and you have a conversation with him, it's not like he's he's putting on a show. It's just who he is. And he's got a lot of things figured out. He's curious about a lot of other things. But football is very important to him, you know, and yeah. being good at football is very important to him. Yeah. And cu- curious is a good, that's, that's a good way to put it, Carl. Cause I, uh, you know, again, I'd spent a lot of time with him at a dinner at the combine, all these, you know, different um, opportunities to visit with him, but it, there was a lot of people around. So I got on zoom with him, just him and I one-on-one, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, you know, the week before the draft and curious is right. He put on his uh, Mel Kuyper hat and he's, he's peppering me, peppering me about guys in the draft. And, you know, what do I think about this or how's it, you know, just very curious and asked a lot of questions and it was, it was really good conversation. And, you know, again, I I just enjoyed my time being around him. Joe, uh, obviously when you took over the job, you knew that the salary cap situation was going to be what it was. There's no, no way around it. And you were pretty adamant about really not kicking the can down the road. And the Bradbury situation was kind of hanging over the entire time. And obviously a trade of some sort never materialized. Was there any thought process to kicking that can down the road? Or was that something where you just felt financially it was not doable both now and even moving forward? Yeah. You know, I'm naturally, you know, competitive. We all are. And, you know, I think everybody realized it releasing James Bradbury doesn't make the Giants a better team. You know, we're not better today without James Bradbury. But, um, you know, to to keep him, I would have to do what got us in this, you know, the current financial situation that 
um, that we were in when I got here. And the goal was to, you know, get back to, you know, financial health and salary cap health. So very difficult decision for me. Um, you know, again, I did, I did think about doing that, but I just thought at the end of the day, what was best for us and, you know, ultimately, uh, best for James. Again, I give his representatives credit. You know, they did the best they could. They were trying to do what was best for their client. Um, you know, we were trying to do what was best for the Giants, and we were both working really hard, um, you know, to work something out. And at the end of the day, it just didn't work out. But I, I think, you know, again, Robinson was drafted last year in the third round. We got a Dory, you know, we had Flott, uh, Darnay Holmes. You know, we got some guys that have played some snaps in the game, and, you know, I expect them to step up and Look forward to working with those guys, but yeah, the James Bradbury thing again. That was it was a diff, difficult situation, and uh, you know, again, we just thought at the end of the day, what we did on Monday in terms of releasing him was was best best for us at the end of the day. So there's another phase to your process before the season starts. We talked to you um, at the draft to talk a little bit during the free agency period, but you said something that you know a lot of fans should should take note of is that you're still looking until the first game is played because there's this whole training camp thing now where good players become available. And that process is a different, that's a whole nother evaluation or another phase of your uh, team building, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a rookie mini camp starts tomorrow and we have a couple of veteran players that, that we're interested in that are going to participate in that. So we're always looking, we're going to have a couple of workouts next week. Again, whether it's player 85 to 90 or 80 to 90, uh, wherever they fall on the roster, we're going to continue to look better. We, you know, again, we, I tell my guys all the time, we just don't, we don't want camp guys. You know, we want guys that belong in a 90 man camp and, you know, can at least compete for a practice squad spot if they don't make the 53. So we're always going to continue to look to add depth and competition across the board, you know, 365 days a year. You know, I'm not familiar how it is in a lot of other buildings, but, and I just have two more questions for you, Joe. Um, this one is the fact that Carl was in the building and had a chance to meet Thibodeau. The fact that Michael Strahan uh, is in New York and can come through and Amani Toomer's around. And then, you know, O'Hara and Deal are always around and Antro Roll will be around during the season. How important is it that these guys that have all been part of those Super Bowl trophies that are everywhere in the building are around as resources whether it's for you guys in the front office or the coaching staff or just for the players to be around these guys. Um, Cause I know not every team has that luxury. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Like one, I grew up watching all those guys. So it's really cool for me being a, you know, a fan, uh, you know, Eli's around too. Uh, Lawrence Taylor was in the building yesterday. Otis Anderson, like these are all. Bill you know, Sims will be because- through in there through during the season too. Yeah, exactly. Met Sean Landetta. You know, again, these are all greats that I grew up watching, but I think it's really important. You know, the history of the team, the history of the franchise. Um, I think all that's very important. And, and not all of these, um, you know, again, when we're going through the draft, some of these are like, oh my gosh, this kid was born in 2001. You know, we're looking at some of these birthdays. So some of these kids aren't necessarily, you know, aware of, of, of all the history of the New York Giants. So I think to, to educate them on the past, um, you know, that's eventually where we want to go and, and, and create our, our own history, but they, they need to be aware of it and understand what it means to be a giant. And once a giant, always a giant and make sure they understand the history of the game, and the resources they have, these players that have had success 
and went on to, you know, be successful in life as well. You know, I was with Justin Tuck the other night, another example of, you know, a, a guy that came through, played for the Giants and has a very successful career now. So, you know, they can look at those guys and say, okay, hey, I'm going to have this playing career, but I can also, you know, leverage the ability to be in New York and all the, you know, the resources that we have for life after football. But I think it's been great. It's been great for me to, to meet all these guys that, you know, I looked up to as a kid and were great players and also understand the history of the Giants. Got another one? Uh, you got no, no uh, just to that point, um, you know, we're in an era now where, you know, kids talk about their brand a lot, right? And every time I, I just given my business experience outside of football, I try to tell these young men, well, you should look at this as a brand collaboration. And good brand collaborations are mutually beneficial. So when you walk in a door and you're talking about, hey, I got I got a brand and I have to do what's best – Doing what's best for your brand is doing best for the brand that you're playing for, especially in New York. You find out quickly that um, if you're more about your personal brand than you are about sports in this town, it quickly gets exposed. But yep. your brand grows exponentially as you as your, your collaboration, your contrib contribution to the collaboration of the Giants brand, it just helps you. You know, you just look at all the players, like a guy like Victor Cruz, who was a nobody, all of a sudden, he's bigger than he's bigger than football right now because of, you know, just what he contributed to that collaboration, that brand collaboration. He knew what he wanted to do, but he knew that being a good football player in this town could do a lot more for your personal brand down the road. You nailed it. You nailed it. And I think uh, talking to these young men, you know, a lot of them understand that. Um, specifically, I know that's, I know Kayvon understands that, you know, as you're going through all this process and, you know, people think he has all these outside interests. He, he offered up what you just said with us, without us even asking, like mm -hmm. none of that matters if you're not good on the football field. So, yep. and again, it is, it's a different generation and it's, it's part of our job to evolve and understand, you know, look, I got a, I have a 16 year old daughter and a 12 year old son that, you know, I ask them a bunch of questions all the time. What does this mean? Well, you know, again, you're just trying to, to stay up with the times the best you can. You know, you don't want to get stuck in your ways is because these kids are evolving and they're different and you don't want to knock a kid or not draft a good football player because you don't necessarily understand who they are and what they're about. And that's mm -hmm. part of our jobs. And the evaluation process is, you know, figure out what, what it really means when you're talking about a brand, you know, there, there was no such thing sure. as a brand, you know, 10 yeah. years ago, we weren't talking about brands and uh, meetings. Well, is that a negative? That's not really a negative. I mean, you look at these NIL and what these kids are getting just to play sure. uh, college football. Now. I mean, I would need a team too, if I was 19 years old and was making $2 million, like I wouldn't right. know what to do with that. So, you know, guys coming out of college, they have a team, they have a marketing plan, they, they have a brand and they have, they have, they have a, they have a plan in place and you know, that's, that's different. We got to evolve and learn about it and be open to learning about it. Um, so we don't miss on a good football player for something we weren't aware of. All right. I, I know that you're running short on time here and you've been very generous with us, but I know you're also passionate about golf, but you don't get a chance to play golf <laughs> doing your job, but you know, end of June, once the mini camps are over and that break before camp, you'll have that little downtime. Um, but favorite places to play. Give me, give me your top two places that you've played. Well, I'm actually going to Scotland in June. So oh. one of them, one of them happens the to be man. there. Yeah. I would say over there, two of them actually are my favorite courses in the world, Kings Barnes and then the old course. Um, unfortunately, mm. we can't play the old course this year. Got a little <clears> thing called the open championship. The open's going to be there. So, 
luckily I've played it. Some of the other people I'm going with, it sinks because this trip was planned two years ago. I actually looked at it the other day and my, my initial down payment was in 19 and we're finally getting to go now. So um, those are two of my favorite courses that, uh, you know, I love to play. I went to Pinehurst last year on a golf trip with the same, same group of buddies. And I, I really enjoyed that. So I, I've never had a bad round of golf. I and mean, anytime you can get out with good company and, and hit the ball around, cool. you know, that's, I, I love to do it. I'd do it seven days a week if I could, but right, uh, what's your, what's your handicap then? Uh, I was at eight at the end of the summer. I'm a 10 now. So I'm, I'm trending in the wrong direction. I, I got to play to be any good, but, uh, yeah. Living in Florida helped me when I was with the dolphins for three years and I could play year round. That's when it really took, you know, that was my best mm. golf and play, living in, living in Buffalo made it a little bit hard to keep the handicap down right, and a growing family and a growing yeah. family. Exactly. It's hard to take four hours away from your family and your wife when we work as much as we do and try to explain what you're, what you're doing and the purpose yeah. of it. But, uh, I try to sneak out when I can. All right, Joe, we appreciate a couple minutes. Uh, it's been quite a few minutes, but we appreciate your generosity. Uh, coming on the program. It's called believe in giants. And we like to end it with, um, hashtag tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. Yeah. Tell <laughs> awesome a friend, guys. tell thanks, a friend. Thanks for having Thank me. you, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Great guys. Stuff. Appreciate it. All right. All right. That's the general manager of the New York football giants, Joe Shane. Get in on the action with bet online. Really simple. I'm giving you a chance to get 50% off on your welcome bonus. So on your very first deposit, BetOnline is going to give you 50% off, but all you have to do is use a promo code. It's called BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. Believe in Giants. Believe in this promo code. You get 50% off on your welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's super easy. Download it today on your phone. Check it out. BetOnline, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all popular sports and games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Carl, um, obviously, Joe Shane, refreshing uh, and his honesty and, you know, kind of talking through all this stuff. It really feels like the Giants are in good hands with an energetic sort of way of viewing things right now. And I think that came off in our interview with him. No, it really did, Bob. And just like you said, his approach to it, he's not uptight, but understands it. Um, but it's just it just feels refreshing. You know, he doesn't come across as the authoritative know-it-all. You know, he's he's open to learning, but there is a process to everything they do. And that's, you know, that's something that, you know, fans should really start to gravitate towards if the results are there on the field. And it'll kind of, you know, kind of erase some bad memories of, of personnel um, leaders in our recent past. But you know, you, you just kind of get a, a different feeling about him because it is youthful. It is open minded. And he's he's he's, you know, putting together something that I think will reflect um, on the field into some some winning stuff, some winning games. And it certainly sounds like the Bradbury thing, as he said, you know, he kind of kicked around the thought of kicking the can down the road. But evidently, you know, whatever the numbers were, he said it honestly, because I don't want to get us back in this situation a couple of years from now, which is why we had to do what we did. And I respect that um, because he, even, he said we're not as good a football team today as we were with the guy on the team. But in the overall health of the organization, we can't keep getting into this situation every couple of years. And the thing is also um, you can't get yourself in a position to where you say, well, 
we're going to have more money because the new TV deal is going to kick in. And that's like spending money you don't have to try to, to try to keep, you know, um, a roster intact. So he's a realist. He's dealing with today, not, you know, 12 months from now, you know? Right. And the, the bottom line is too, what happens if Daniel Jones blossoms under Dable and then they got to franchise him or, create a long-term deal with him. Second contracts for quarterbacks are a lot of money. What if Dexter Lawrence has a a, a sure. breakout year? They picked up his fifth-year option. So there's all these other things that come into play here that, you know, I guess, you know, he's got to be prepared for and not kicking the can down the road was important. All right. Uh, anything else off your chest or you feel good? I feel good, man. Just tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Believe in Giants. Bob Papa, Carl Banks. We'll see you again down the road, but uh, make sure you tell a friend about this Joe Shane interview. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.